Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's Wrong with the Podcast. Today, we're absolutely delighted to be speaking with Michaeline Dukleff. Michaeline is a global health correspondent for NPR's Science Desk and the author of the New York Times bestseller Hunt Gather Parent, which I'm also a huge fan of. The book describes a way of raising kind and confident children, which moms and dads all over the world have turned to for millennia. Dukleff has a doctorate in chemistry from the University of Berkeley, California, and a bachelor's degree in biology from Caltech. For the past decade, Dukleff has reported on disease outbreaks and children's health for NPR. Before that, Dukleff was an editor at the journal Cell, where she wrote about the science behind pop culture. She lives in San Francisco with her husband, daughter, and their German shepherd, Savannah. Welcome to our podcast. Today we have the great pleasure of speaking with Michaeline Dukleff. She's the author of Hunt, Gather, and Parent, and I'm a huge fan, so I've been very much looking forward to this conversation. Michaeline, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So please tell us more about yourself and how you came to write this amazing book. So I am actually a, a chemist by training. I spent seven years as a chemist. I have a PhD in chemistry. And then I moved into science journalism. And I've been at um, National Public Radio for nine years now, covering um, mostly covering diseases, disease outbreaks around the world before COVID. I was, NPR would send me, um, you know, to really far fun, far flung places to um, investigate kind of exotic diseases. So I was in Liberia during the Ebola outbreak. Um, I was actually in a Malaysian bat cave in 2017, um, doing a story about potential coronavirus outbreaks from bats. Um, Oh my God. I know. This was what year? 2017, we sat in this bat, stood in this bat cave and the scientist was like, yeah, there could be, you know, he was telling us like, there could be this massive global pandemic. And we were all just like, what? And, um, and then in, I think it was actually 2000, actually it was 2017 too. They sent me up to, um, the Arctic to look at, um, diseases inside permafrost. And this is viruses inside permafrost. And this is when I first started to kind of get an inkling of like, uh, something's going on with our parenting because up in the Arctic, I met a lot of Inuit families and saw that the parenting was really different. The following year, they sent me down to the Yucatan Peninsula to this little tiny Maya village to do a story about attention. There had been these studies about how Maya kids could pay attention better than American kids, European American kids in certain situations. And we were going to do a story on it. And we got, we got down there, the producer and I, we spent about four or five days in people's homes with families, talking to moms mostly. And um, it kind of, what I saw and what these parents taught me kind of blew my mind. Like it really like shifted my whole sense of like what parenting could be. First of all, like the moms, there was no yelling. There was no bickering, nagging. There was not any of this like kind of constant friction and resistance that I saw in the US and I was having with my own daughters. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, It was just so smooth. Like it was just kind of like mutual respect. Um, And yet the kids were like incredible. They were like, generous to each other, to their parents, you know, they shared voluntarily and they were super, super helpful. So one morning I was talking to this mom, Maria uh, de los Angeles, and she has, uh, what does she have? Five kids. 
three young daughters and they were on spring break and they had stayed up the night before watching a shark movie. And so they were sleeping in and her 12 year old daughter Anhala wakes up, like kind of walks past me and her mom in her in the kitchen and starts washing the dishes from breakfast, like completely voluntarily. And I was just like, like so surprised. I was like, what just happened? And Maria was just like, well, you know, she's 12. And she should know what to do by now, you know, and she should, she should do it. If she sees it, she does it. And I was just, I was super surprised, but she wasn't, she was like, this is what kids are supposed to do. Um, and I actually like sat in the airport, the Cancun airport, just kind of being like, what did I just see? Like, was it real? Like, could parenting really be that easy really is kind of what I felt. Um, and I didn't think much about it at the time, my little girl, Rosie, I, I have one kid, one daughter, Rosie, and she was two, two and a half. And she was really starting to have a lot of tantrums and she's always, she's a great kid. She's smart and courageous, but she's always been very like fiery and, you know, hot tempered and persistent. And, and she was starting to have these tantrums and I would, I was trying to do everything to help her to like stop them. And, and sometimes she would just like slap me across the face. She was also biting me at times with this daughter that I really didn't know what to do with. And I didn't know how to help. And I had read like, you know, blogs and books and tried all this stuff and just felt so frustrated. I felt like I kind of was hopeless at that point. I was like, this is just going to be our life. We were just going to have these power struggles and, um, you know, it just is the way it is. And then I saw, yeah, so here I was with this daughter uh, that I didn't really know what to do with. Um, and I saw these parents that seem to not only be doing it better, but doing it in a way that was much easier um, and just, just kind of all around different than what I had seen. And I, I went back and I did the stories on attention and everything. And I, and, you know, I kind of kept this idea in the back of my mind that maybe there's something going on. Um, but I thought maybe it was specific to the Maya community or this little village. Um, and then about six months later, I went back up to the Arctic to do a story on anger. And I kind of saw the same thing. Like I saw this approach to parenting that was really calm, really gentle, you know, no yelling, no screaming and super, super effective. Again, the kids were generous and kind and respectful. And so here you have these two really different places, right? In the Arctic, it's cold and, you know, the um, people are often inside and they can't go outside. And, you know, in the, in the Yucatan, it's hot and people are, live their lives outside. And, and yet the parents really are doing many of the same things and have this style of parenting that was really similar. And when I got back, I started reading and I realized actually, there's this common approach to parenting that you can find all over the world. And it used to be really common in the US and parts of Europe. Um, and, and I wanted to learn it because I, I figured out that it's really an approach that parents have turned to for thousands and thousands of years. It's likely the way kids were raised, you know, when, when humans were evolving, you know, tens of thousands, even like a hundred thousand right. years ago. And when you see it in action, you're just kind of like, ah, that is, that's the way it should be done. And you start to see that we do it really um, kind of in ineffectively and in a way that's really exhausting. And so this book is about me and Rosie, my daughter, she was three at the time. We go back to the Yucatan, we go back to the Arctic and we go to um, the Tanzanian Savannah with a group called the Hadzabe, this uh, hunter gatherer group. And they, they teach us, they teach me and Rosie, the parents there teach us 
about this approach to parenting, um, about how you can raise helpful kids, you can raise kids that are calm and can control their emotions, and you can raise confident, self, self-sufficient kids, you know, so without all the anxiety and, de- and depression that we struggle with here. Oh my God, what an amazing experience for you and Rosie. And thank you so much for also just like sharing this with the world, right? And not keeping it to yourself. So I really, really am grateful for that. So there, so I guess like my question is, um, in the end, like as any parent, like we all want to do the right, the right thing by our children, right? So um, even like with us all getting it wrong, it happens while we try to get it right and tr- or try to create a communication or bond or whatever. Uh, yeah. Of course, our own, you know, personal baggages and things might reflect into the parenting, but the intentions are possibly like pretty universal. So how do you think we got here? Where did that like gap start to happen? Where these like years and years of tradition of uh, like collaborative family dynamics really is what it is turned into this I don't want to say dictators but really like more like top down um and you know not necessarily just providing guidance but almost at a point like we're ruling their lives and how how did this happen over time yeah it's a great question and I mean it is kind of a dictatorship if you look at the difference in the way that the parents in a lot of places yeah. Um, raise kids. We are kind of these little dictators because we really <laughs> tr- think we are supposed to have so much control over children's lives. Um, and we know what's best for them, right? Parents know mm. what's best. And I think parents in a lot of places think they have good ideas about what's best. And there's at times they know what's best, but a lot of the book is about kind of learning to to value and look to your child for guidance when it comes to their parenting and kind of this idea that kind of the child knows themselves better than you do. Um, And so where did this kind of shift happen? I think a a lot of stuff has come together to create this. It's a very complex answer. One of the most interesting facets, I think, is so if you look around the world, like you say, um, parenting is very collaborative and there's a lot of good um, evolutionary biology and primatology to support the idea that one thing that makes us human and w- which has made homo sapiens the species homo sapiens so successful is that we parent cooperatively right that that it's not just a mom taking care of a baby or a mom and dad taking care of a baby but we've we've evolved to have four or five or six even you know people caretakers people who know the child just as well as the mom or dad and that if you look that's probably the only way that kids survived like a hundred thousand years ago was mm, to have this, these extra hands. Um, one of the primatologists has done like the kind of calorie analysis and shown that like a mom and a dad together just could not provide the calories for, ch- for a child on their own. Um, wow. But also children are born incredibly premature and they require, human children require this enormous amount of of support and help that no other babies in the world really, you know, primates in the world require. And so extra hands are absolutely necessary. And when we have the nuclear family, parents, moms, and dads are doing the tasks that really like five or six people are supposed to be doing and were designed to do. And if you look around the world, that's how it's usually done. You know, if you've got a right. mom, a dad, you've got a neighbor, you've got a grandma, aunt, uncle, 
older kids are involved, cousins. Um, and, a, and there's been a lot of analysis that I think like typically in hunter-gatherer communities, the mom does about 20% when the child is two and that like steadily declines over time. Wow. So the mom is doing very small amount of the actual caretaking. And so where this change happened, um, it's very interesting. This one researcher at Harvard believes that it started about 500 um, AD. So what is that about 15, 1600 years ago? the Catholic church in Europe became obsessed with incest and they mm. started to enact these laws that, so back then communities in Europe lived like a lot of communities do today in these big groups, big extended families. So, you know, 10, 15 people kind of living in one house or one compound and helping each other with their parent, with their children. Um, but the, the Catholic church decided that you know, cousins shouldn't marry cousins, which is totally reasonable. Cousins probably shouldn't marry cousins for biological reasons. But then they started enacting all these other laws, like second cousins, third cousins, fourth cousins. And it, I think after like a few hundred years, they were up to like six cousins shouldn't marry each other, in-laws shouldn't marry each other. Um, and what this did, which there's no reason why you can't marry an in-law, you're not biologically related. And the sixth cousin too, we're probably six cousins, right? <laughs> like, yeah, um, <laughs> it's very far, very far apart. Um, but what this did was it, it really shattered the extended family. And you can, and he does this analysis where he can see like, as time goes on, the family becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And you end up kind of where we are today, where people wow. live kind of it two by two, so to speak. And, it, and you now not only don't have the help that, you know, kids are really, that kids require, but you've also lost the teachers. Right. So when yeah. you live in a big group with a grandma, an aunt, even a neighbor or a friend, those older um, adults are teaching the younger new moms and dads how to do it. And so hmm. when we lost the extended family, we lost the teachers, we lost valuing the teachers and we and we really lost the skills. Parenting is really a skill that you learn. That's right. a long answer. <laughs> no, that's an amazing answer. And I, it's, it's so, and you know, so this happened and then we're not only then like two people are responsible by one child, but sometimes even like multiple children and like to add to that, like all other, everything that is going on in the world that is parallel, you know, competition in like workforce, maybe increase. We're demanded more by our jobs too. Yeah. And things got really expensive, you know, like all these like extra added stress, which could, you know, potentially also could change from like rural to urban, but like, right. I'm sure there's like levels of many other things happening in the world that sort of puts all of these pressures on the parents. And so we just became like short fused, right? Like we yeah. couldn't take it, I guess. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like the way we've set it up makes it really hard for the parent, right? By right. separating children, the child world from the adult world, like, right. So having this idea that children can't be with you when you work, right. Is really hard, right? Like yeah. now you have to juggle childcare and your job and, you know, everything with family and before it always mixed together, right. The, the children were around you when you worked and they were welcome there and, you know, they did yeah. their own thing, but it was much more this like, fusion and cohesion and we've really like um splintered it in a lot of ways which you like you say it 
just adds on more on top of what's already what's already there yeah like the corporate expectations expectations from the media like we we, we were doing a lot of research on um, office versus home especially starting last year right because like okay if we're going to office less what does that look for the design of the office and then what does it look like for the home and especially when the home is a splendid work and school environment now right right and so when we were doing some like you know desk research the first like articles we're finding like when COVID started is like how do you steal like two hours from your like children or like where to hide at home you know nothing collaborative and very top down nothing sustainable like this is not going to clearly work in the long run and this is not a coincidence nor it's the first time right like all these expectations or pressure put on parents especially moms throughout the years through like writers who write articles and don't even have any research around it or just like mm -hmm. stating an opinion but they're writing for a very big publication and that's being perceived as expert advice or something or like you know you give great examples around in the book like how much to feed an infant or, or how often to feed an infant or sleep training which apparently like really links to sports background you know like <laughs> all these like mad things we don't know and we also are now like very short in consuming information, right? Like we read this and we take it. And we just had a great podcast on like cognitive bias and how mm. we just like run for, and we there's something called confirmation bias. And when we hear something and again, and like, oh, this must be true. So I should do right. that as a parent. Right. And when the mass media and the world is feeding you, it's so hard to uh, go against it because then you feel like you're doing something wrong as a parent. Yeah. I. I think what really saved me, my daughter is three years old. Uh, so this is like similar to when your journey started. What saved me like a year and a half ago before I discovered your book or even maybe it wasn't out by then. Um, I read Unconditional Parenting. Mm. And I think that was like, th that sort of gave me the awareness of like, oh wait, like we can't follow prescriptive methods. Like no children are the same. and. Why aren't we treating them with respect? They're also like, I would be so annoyed as an adult if somebody cuts me off and always tells me what to do. Like, it's sort of like everything that you kind of feel in your gut as a mom that doesn't sit right. Like reading that in a book was so life-saving. And then I read your book and then I'm like, yes, you know, like, we don't miss it because, because you, we live in a world where even like your pediatrician comes to you and says like, oh, did you do this by now? And right. you're kind of like, maybe I don't want to do it <laughs> right right or I don't want to do it right now I mean that's one of the things that's like this idea that children are supposed to like do things at particular ages and if they don't oh there's God. something wrong or the yes. window has closed like that idea is so crazy like no culture in the world thinks this of children and you the parents will tell me over and over again I don't know when the kid does it it depends <laughs> on the kid and they're like why don't you pay attention to the child and see when they're ready for it, you know, or like ask them or, you know, so there's this, this is a very strange thing in our culture that there are these, all these norms, right? And this is very new. This is like late um, 19th century when, when mm. people started like doing statistics on people and making like bell curves and stuff. And so now we have all these ideas of normal, not normal. And I think that puts a lot of stress on the parents, but also the children, like, you know, can you imagine being told, well, you're not normal, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, like what 
practice, you know? Um, but also then we give up really easily. This is another thing. Mm. We're like, if the child doesn't do it by X, oh my God, they're never going to do it. You know, or the child doesn't eat, you know, I put the, mm. the cauliflower in front of them five times and they don't eat it. Well, they don't like it. And this is parents everywhere I went to talk about how things take these time, these time and it's, everything is a slow process and like learning to do chores around the house. You can't just stick a chore chart up on the wall and expect kids to do it. This is a skill. This is something that takes yeah. time. Um, but it, it's interesting when you talk about the information because yeah, once the, once the extended family left the home, the grandma, the aunts, the neighbors, the, the uncles, um, we started to turn to these outside sources mm. because we um, we started not knowing what to do. And so, and at the same time, um, doctors in Europe, doctors were creating these little pamphlets for hospitals, often or orphanages and fondling hospitals where they're taking care of, you know, a hundred babies and hundred toddlers at once. And so they wrote these little pamphlets, like here's how you kind of mass parent, you know, yeah, lots and oh lots of babies at once. and it's interesting because at the same time, parents were, they even say were hungry for knowledge. And so they took these pamphlets for these hospitals that were often written by men who intentionally said that childcare should be taken out of the hands of women. Um, and sometimes the men didn't even have children. This The guy that wrote the sleep treating that you mentioned didn't oh, have children. Yeah. He was oh like God. a, he was like a sports writer. I think he wrote like three books about guns. Um, and actually blew off his like left hand or something. Oh but he was writing baby advice too. And he's the one who was like talking about sleep, like who really pr first promoted sleep training. Sleep training is a very strange, strange oh practice. So these pamphlets, you can actually, you know, a lot of them are in the 1800s, but you can actually see kind of how they evolved and got recycled over time into the books we have now. And it's kind wow. of crazy to find these threads. I mean, of course they've been like modified and kind of sometimes they swing back and forth, but they're, they, a lot of the data that gets cited as like, or, or the ideas that get cited as, you know, evidence-based and scientifically backed actually comes from these pamphlets. And- um, Oh my God. I know it's crazy, right? Like I read this book that that went through the history of all this. Um, it's a it's a really dense book. It's called Dream Babies, but it's incredible. It really makes you stop and think. Like like you say, it makes you question that stuff you find on the web and in the news. And like, well, where where does this actually come from? And you know, do I need to listen to it? You know, and right, right. And I, I mean, like, if you if we were to make an analogy, like, aren't things like you know, racism or discrimination, like things like that also just come from somebody had an idea one time and somebody else said it and somebody else echoed it. And then like we have this and then it suddenly became the norm, right? Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it, it yeah. is crazy how our brains, like apparently we have the tendency to do that. Like, like we just, you know, see information and if it looks legit enough, we believe it. And yeah. then we don't, you know, investigate further because we don't have the time. And guess what? We don't have family support anymore. Right. So we take shortcuts right. and then we're like frustrated at our kid because they're not listening to us, you know, but maybe right. we're not listening to them. So it's, it's very, and I think like the self-awareness is, and we can talk about this a little bit more in depth after you go through like the cultures that you observe, but, um, the self-awareness is so crucial, but at the same time, it's almost like, like, as when you start like practicing as a parent, like everything you read and like what feels like what should be the normal way, yeah. 
you kind of immediately also recognize what you've been like geared to do for years, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You're, so you're like fighting your inner like biases, I feel yeah. like yeah. on an ongoing basis and recognizing that is actually really, really valuable to get started. But we can like talk about that later and first talk about, so what did you do? <laughs> so you yes. took Rosie and you left to the, yeah. to the rest of the world. Yeah, so I picked the cultures um, because well, first I had a lot of contact there from the trips that I'd taken, but also each one kind of um, does something and shines in a way when it comes mm. to parenting that Western culture really struggles with. So the Maya are really excellent at motivating children to be helpful and getting kids to do chores around the house and um, without being asked, without um, you know being bribed or scolded, it's, you know, this volunteer helpfulness. Um, and the Inuit in the Arctic have these incredible tools for teaching children executive functions. So teaching children how to regulate their emotions, how to be calm, mm -hmm. how to kind of think before you act, right? Pause before you respond. Um, and then the Hadzabe are world famous um, for raising really confident, self-sufficient kids. You know, like none of that anxiety and depression that we, we, we struggle with, especially in the US um, is there, you know, you, the, we, we saw a little five-year-old girl who, you know, took care, helped very good at helping to take care of her brother, but also, you know, could forage for lunch and help prepare the lunch and, you know, and not doing it because she felt like she had to, not doing it because she was stressed out about it, but doing it because she genuinely wanted to and felt pride, pride in it. Um, hmm. And so the book, How Gather Parent, kind of goes through each of these cultures in our visits and kind of gives you the tools to try, you know, here in, in Europe or in, in the US um, based on me trying them and also my friends trying them and kind of seeing, you know, which ones really kind of work um, in, in, in this different environment. But I had to say that like all the things in the book I saw everywhere um, which kind of shows you that they, you can move them around and they still work because they really deal a lot with the parent-child relationship. The book is really about changing the parent-child relationship, kind of what you already said from like controlling, like either the parent's yeah. controlling the child or the child's controlling the parent to this more collaborative framework where you're working together. Um, and what I have found is that it builds this wonderful connection with your child that when you really collaborate with somebody, you know, like at work, when you really collaborate with somebody, it's this wonderful bond and it's a very joyful experience to collaborate. And, yeah. um, and it makes, it has made Rosie and I's relationship just so wonderful. I love being with her because she collaborate, we collaborate better than really anyone else I know because we've been practicing it so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, what is important to understand, um, I guess for anybody who did not read the book too, you know, like, of course, when the context changes, how you might like do in your own household or even your like family dynamics that your own culture yeah. might change, right? Um, so like, like an immediate example, like, like I remember from the book where um, I think it was in the Arctic that, you know, the kids just leave the house and like go to the market and come back. And like, I live in New York, try doing that in New York or you live in San Francisco, try doing that in San Francisco, right? Like right. some things obviously that does not make sense when you switch to context. But I think the overall themes there that, you know, the emphasis on collaboration, the emphasis on, you know, 
just let them in. You know, they don't have to do a perfect job or right. you, know, you don't have to be like over expecting things from the children. Just have them be part of the family and part of the things on a day to day so that they don't see it as chores. Right. Like right. that's just like one overall theme that like really stuck with me. And um, the way you also like talk about um, I think that was like really, really interesting. It's like you talked, you talked about in like the Arctic experience. Um, I didn't hear anybody yelling yeah. and like yelling or like showing anger was found childish in adults. So right. it, it like makes me think that, oh, wow. Like we're all like grown child children. Yes, like, we're all, we're all to the Inuit. We, uh, European, European Americans are, are actually very immature adults. Yeah. <laughs> And we, may, so, you know, we, like, we, we are in some ways. I mean, I think we are mature in other ways, but um, there's very a lot of historical documentation that when, you know, white people first went to the Arctic, you know, one time there's one um, documentation. This I've never said this before. This is going to make <laughs> people mad. But um, some of the Inuit families thought that like white people descended from dogs. <laughs> because dogs can't control their anger they right they like bark mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh so this God. is not a secret they they definitely and the moms knew like I couldn't I could not only could I not control my anger towards Rosie I couldn't control Rosie it was just like <laughs> complete hot mess um but but you know the thing is is I'm 44 now and um I really I'm not perfect at controlling my anger, Rosie will tell you, but I have gotten so much better at it, even at 40, you know, when I was 40. Um, so this is definitely a skill you can learn. You, you know, people always often ask me, does the book work on teenagers or 12 year olds? And I'm like, yes, the book works on 40 year olds. So like, yeah, it's definitely something you can learn. Um, you're not stuck at all. But I think you brought up this really amazing point that one of the key things that we do that makes our lives really exhausting, and at first it sounds like it doesn't, and I think that's why we're bought into it, is this, is that we don't let children into our world, right? So mm -hmm. we're doing chores, we're doing the dishes, we're doing the laundry, a young child comes over and maybe, you know, starts throwing, there's actually a study on this, it's really incredible, They're, you know, you, they asked uh, European American moms what they would do in this situation. And they asked my moms what they would do in this situation. Mm. So you're doing the laundry and a little two, three-year-old comes over and starts throwing the clothes around the room. Like, what do you do? And what does it mean? And the European American mom says, you know, well, I get mad. Like she's making a mess. And, you know, and I tell her, you know, we're doing, I'm doing the laundry now, go play. Right. And so this very uh, like one, the motivation of the child is kind of bad. Like she wants to make a mess. She wants to play. Um, and then two, the action is to push her away, right? To exclude her from the task um, and separate her from, from you and in your world. And then the Maya mom says, well, you know, I'm kind of mad because upset because she's making a mess, but I'm also really excited because she's showing interest in the chore. And this is her way of trying to help. It's just that she doesn't know how. And so I would try to guide her, you know, the, the you know, the clothes go in the basket and now we put them in the wash. And, um, and so, she, so you see a couple of things different, like one, the, the mom sees the motivation as, as good, right? That the child right. wants to help. And I think this is a key thing that we often view children's motivations kind of nefariously as like pushing our buttons, wanting to make a mess, you know, not, and, and a lot of parents around the world see children as, especially young children, as genuinely wanting to help and not knowing how. Right. And 
And so the action then is pro-social, right? She lets the child help. She lets, she welcomes the child in and starts to teach the child the chore. And so you right. can see like over time, like even after four or five years, the kid not only is still helping because it's fun and it's been like, you know, a fun activity that they're doing with your mom, but also she, the child has learned how to do the chore, right? right. She knows how to right. do the laundry. And this is how you create this like 12 year old who wakes up and does the dishes. This is just what she's exactly doing, right? Because she doesn't see it as a chore, right? That's right. Nor That's like right. an activity that she was pushed out of. I think right. to your point, you know, how you do not get mad over time is like when you change the mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like change perspective and how you're looking at the event altogether. You wouldn't get mad anyway. I mean, I think you also talk about like, if they're really doing a mess, or if it's a safety concern, they slowly like, they don't necessarily do like go, but they slowly like, pull them away from that. Discourage it. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So like, but then like, because the mindset is different, they still know it's not something to get angry of, right? right I think that's right. like, the mindset the, is huge, right? The shift yeah. in like, um, I even said to one of the moms in the Arctic, I was talking about like, you know, trying to, trying to get Rosie to not hit me. And I said, well, she's just pushing my buttons. And the mom like laughed at me. She's like, she's not pushing your buttons. She's not, she's like two or three. Like she doesn't understand what that means. She's yeah. just really clumsy. She just, she doesn't have understanding. A lot of times the parents would say that she doesn't have understanding. <laughs> and so a lot of parents around the world see children as kind of these illogical, irrational creatures they don't know yet. They don't have an understanding. And they're devious, right? Right. <laughs> Let me right. push my mom. Exactly. Like they're, and this is another good example of something we read and hear and we think, oh, right. it must be true because it comes from psychologists. Yeah. There's no data, right? There's no, <laughs> there's no study showing that the child is intentionally trying to hurt you, right? Like a child doesn't even understand that really, right? Like I even asked like a six-year-old once about it, like, you know, how do, how do you think that makes me feel what you just did? Oh, it makes, makes you feel sad. Were you trying to make me feel sad? No, I wasn't trying, you know, like, like you, you, you know, you can even test out this idea, but a lot, this is complete folklore. This is something that parents, I don't know when they made it up, but they made it Amazing. up and it's made our lives really hard because it, it makes us have all this anger towards children, right? Like, because yeah. if you think someone's manipulating you and pushing your buttons, you're going to act defensively and like, in, you know, right. adversarially to them. And then you, all you're doing is getting the kid to be angry back. Right. And, and do yeah. the same. Right. Um, so the moms in the Arctic and the dads really taught me like, okay, if I think of her as just trying hard and that she loves me, it, then I have more empathy towards her, more compassion when she does something wrong. And I try to say, oh, she just doesn't understand. And, and it's my job to show her you know, the right way and yelling at her and getting mad is just showing her to yell, to yell and get mad. So I'm not perfect with it, but I can say that when my response to Rosie changed, Rosie's behavior changed really quickly and improved like so, so, so much. Right. Um, right. And I think like you do, like, obviously when you start sensing even like the shift of, um, uh, a little bit, even like how you feel about it. Like, I don't think any mom feels good about themselves after they yell 
at their children, yeah. right? Like it just doesn't sit right. Like you just yeah. do it because it comes like a reflex or you're told to do so because we're right. so big on self-discipline and all of the above. But I like my initial, like, I remember when I was pregnant, when I was asking all moms like advice, right? Just like hearing what they would say. And then I remember this one mom telling me like, happy mom, happy child. Mm. And so like, that was, I think the one that stuck with me most. Like, if you have a more calm, relaxed and content attitude that only could like reflect on you. And yeah. that was like the best advice I ever got. Yeah. And I think, you know, that advice sort of even like that on its own went a long way when um like I started to like face conflicts and but I think it's so interesting how, how we're wired like so I like that advice went a long way for me but I still I, I think because we're again like to your point are raising much more alone compared to how we were doing looked for that validation in books and when I don't see that that was like am I doing the right thing like uh, my daughter Ada she went through a phase where she was like hitting me and I never felt angry because I just thought like, oh, she's frustrated. She can't express herself because she doesn't, she didn't develop language yet. So she, I just should try to understand her, but I would get so much feedback on like, you should discipline her or like say, like say no. Right. Um, right. Because she's going to make it Yeah. And, but it never sat right. And then I, when I started to like see books that actually like, and like yours, that was kind of like, no, like that's a phase and there's no point of being angry about it. I was like, oh my God, okay. You know, we seek that validation. And I think right. that's understandable how looking back on like how we were raising children, right? Like we were raising children as a community. Um, so it wasn't just on us. So when we're left alone, we're kind of seeking uh, these like, I don't know, I guess that sort of also led to the flip side of the coin, right? Like we took advice from sports trainers. Right, right, exactly. No, there's all these holes, right? There's all these like, am I doing it right? Is this right? You know, it's interesting at the, um, at the end of the, at the end of the book, I, I actually had this Inuit mom, this amazing woman, Corinna Kramer. I acknowledge her at the end. She read the whole book and I wanted just like, you know, feedback and sensitivity. And, and she kind of said to me at the end, she, she really liked it. She really loved it. She sent it to her, her daughters. And, but she said at the end, she was like, I really think all you need to do. She was like, she was like, she was like, the book is great, but this is all you need to do. She's like, all you need to do is really think like, well, what I, what am I, what I'm about to do or say to my child or will it hurt our relationship or will it help our relationship? And it, I know it's so simple, but like, you know, and, it, and she said, you know, sometimes that means saying like, I need quiet time or I, you know, I need you to not hit me. You know, you can't hit me that, you know, sometimes it's about like saying what you need because that's what you need to keep the relationship good, you know? Um, but, I, but I think, it speaks to what you just said, right? Because it's like, you knew what was right for the child and what was right for your relationship, right? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, you could just, we can follow that rule. Like, is it going to hurt the relationship? Is it going to help the relationship? And oftentimes it means doing kind of nothing, right? Just like you said, <laughs> like, wait, like waiting, right? Like you're like, it's a phase, it's temporary. And yeah, um, a lot of the parents told me these types of things, like, well, she, she's just not ready or they're just not ready. Give, give it more time. And we want to fix things like right away. And oftentimes the kid can just fix it themselves. If we, if we wait right. a bit, as I say in the book, right, wait, just wait yeah, a bit, you know, we're the instant gratification generation. I think that's also like the big problem to it. But I think like when we want to address sort of like, how might we like approach these like dilemmas or issues that we see in like parenting or 
in like mass media one like in the end like I think that one liner is exam is like uh, amazing to just like remember like does it hurt or help yeah and that is you can be wherever in the world whatever type of family that's like something that is universal and also if you have these like different opinions or like I don't think everybody can do what you did right like go into right. the depth and I'm gonna figure this out <laughs> and like have this immersive experience which is amazing and I'm so glad you did it for other moms but I think for all moms to be okay with like feeling different too I think I guess yeah. like one thing we should like echo just because you're bombarded at by like saying oh did you sleep train or did you discipline in that or is he like potty trained yet or is she doing that you know all of these pressures yeah. from the society I feel like we just need to sort of like learn to dial it down <laughs> and, I mean and, and it's 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 one of the things that's really strange um, if you so I don't know if you you when you read the book there's this whole idea that right that European heritage people do these very weird things right oh right yeah. we have all these yeah. like weird psychology yeah yeah and we and we have all this weird parenting and one of the weird things about us is that we care we highly highly value and really care about strangers opinions mm -hmm. and in in acquaintances right so people that we don't know super well right like colleagues at work, people that come we vaguely know, neighbors, like we, we value their opinions way, way higher than most people in the world. Most people in the world don't care about these people's opinions at all. Like <laughs> they care about their close friends. They care about their fan, what their family thinks, but otherwise it's like, you know, but we, we really care what like these people we don't know yeah. think. And yeah. I've started like thinking of that when I'm trying to do what you say, like kind of have a spine and be like, Hey, I know what's right for my kid versus this blogger or this journalist or this person at work or, you know, I mean, it's really hard when it's the pediatrician. That's like the hardest. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, that's why learning the history of that, yeah. that advice is so important because then you, a lot of that stuff that the pediatrician says comes from these pamphlets, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but I, that is, it, that's a hard, it's a hard thing, right? We, to really kind of be confident in, and that you know, right, that, that when it feels right and when it's working, that's what I really like have come to understand that if it works, you know, there's less conflict in the home, there's less right. arguing, the behavior is better. Well, it's, I'm not going to change that, right? Like that's, yeah. that's all I need, right? The proof is in the pudding kind of. Exactly, um, exactly. And you kind of have finding your own ad hoc solutions, to your own family and culture and context, really. Yeah, and I think the book is a lot about like, opening up the view and being like, mm. because for me, a lot of the tools that I read about didn't work, right? I just <laughs> felt very frustrated by them. Yeah. So it's like opening up the toolbox and saying, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. Try it and see if it works, you know, modify it. Like, you know, and, and like you said, it might work differently with different kids even, right? And exactly, um, exactly. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, is it, is the relationship better? Do you feel more peace? Do you feel more connection? that's what you that's what the the barometer right I, yeah I think and I yeah. have to say I've been like applying it to my my marriage you know like this, yeah. right right like this idea like it, and it's not about not saying something to somebody or not doing something but it's like okay can I do it in a way that's gonna help versus yeah. cause conflict and hurt and like yeah you know just kind of waiting pausing a bit and thinking okay let me see if I can do this in a way that's gonna be kind 
Yeah, you just started to wait a bit in any, exactly. in any dynamic. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it's an amazing segue to advices too. I think you gave many great advices like throughout the conversation. Um, but to like add to that a little bit, um, what you did here also was like, like you weren't happy with what you, what you were experiencing at home. Yeah. And you wanted to make it better. Right. And then you just went out of your way. And I, what the part I love about most is like, actually you did it with Rosie, right? Like it was super right. collaborative the way yes. you even like <laughs> investigated it. Um, so, and that's fascinating. And to me, it's like almost a great analogy to anybody who wants to like do something, you know, in a field that they're not super happy about if they want to change the industry and all of those, mm. like what you did is like really interesting. So to anyone who is sort of like, well, really getting out of your comfort zone to like fix something or like change right. something in their lives, what would be your, what would your advice be to them? You know, I think what I've realized in the last like three or four years, which has really kind of blown my mind and really changed my life is that a lot of the stuff that we think is like normal or is, is omnipresent is is ubiquitous it has to be that way you know so a lot of this for me it was parenting like the stuff that I thought you just had to do you have to say that everybody right. does it that way really in any field I think those things are culture they're culturally based you know and that if you go outside kind of the western paradigm and have an open mind about it and like you know you have to kind of get over your biases of you know you know, they live a very different, people live a very different way. They act a very different way. But if you kind of recognize that they, there could be something better, you know? And like, mm. if you go outside that Western paradigm and start looking for other ways of doing things, it's like a gold mine of ideas. I mean, that's really what yeah. I found was like, if I go outside Western culture, there's just like this huge Grand Canyon of parenting <laughs> approaches that many of them really work Right. right. Um, and so I've started to kind of under, I've been doing this more in psychology too. Like every time we do like a story on psychology, I think, well, well, you know, what would like, you know, a Chinese, how does the, how does a like, Chinese psychologist view this? Or, mm -hmm. you know, you know, what is a, a, a Latino psychologist? How, you know, what's the view from there? And you start, that. yeah. And you start to see like, whoa, like, not only are we not doing it the way everyone else does it, but oftentimes we're not doing it the best. We're not doing it the most effectively. Um, and, and I think we tend to, as, as Westerners and Europeans, we tend to kind of think we're kind of the end all be all <laughs> to things, you know, because we do have these incredible tools and we've you know, right, done right. incredible things that other cultures haven't done, but we're not, you know, we're not doing things the best, you know? Yeah. Um, and just because we evolved in some things doesn't mean we evolved in everything, right? Exactly. In fact, we've kind of lost a lot of things <laughs> yeah. that were, you know, I mean, I have this directory on my, my computer called lost and it's basically all these things that, that we've wow. lost when we've, you know, given up a, a certain lifestyle for another one. Right. Um, yeah. 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 That's my, that's my advice is like, maybe question kind of some of your assumptions, the things that you just take for granted, like, well, I have to do that. Well, do, do you have to do, do you that? have to do that? And does everybody have to, does everyone do it? You know, I, I love, I love that so much. And if we raise our children with that mindset too, um, 
I think like generations from now will be much in much better state, all of us yeah. um, in both yeah. families and really like business life and all together. Yeah. Cause we do have problems, right? We have, we struggle in areas and other people don't. Right. So yeah. Yeah. This was so great, Michaeline. I'm so happy to like have this conversation. Um, I'm going to just echo again, anybody who hasn't read the book, you don't even have to be a parent. It's just like a great example of like journalism coming to life, but also <laughs> it's really eye-opening and how we would also perceive ourselves as adults. Um, and also if you are a parent, it's just like super helpful in just uh, shifting your mindset and uh, having a just better life at home because of it. So thank you so much for making the time. I'm so glad I got to see Rosie too. So <laughs> she's been amazing. Like, <laughs> she's so right here. Thank you. I, I thank really you appreciate so much. her patience. Thank you. And thank you. Um, we'll be in touch soon. Okay. Thank you. Have a great weekend. And that is this week's episode of What's Wrong With The Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links can be found in the episode description, and you can also find them on our website, podcast.whatswrongwith.xyz. If you found value in the show, we would appreciate if you could rate us and leave a review, or you can simply tell your friends about us. For more details on our guests, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to join us next week. Thank you for listening.